Good evening, dear listener, and welcome to another enchanting episode of Drift Off, where dreams and stories blend into a perfect bedtime lullaby. If you're enjoying the show, please consider subscribing to help keep the podcast ad-free. You'll find all those details and links in the show notes. Tonight I will be reading several chapters from the book, Little House on the Prairie. This story is about a little girl named Laura Ingalls and her family who leave behind their little house in the big woods of Wisconsin and are now heading to Kansas. The story captures the essence of pioneer life through the eyes of a young Laura. She provides vivid descriptions of the challenges and joys of frontier living with detailed accounts of hunting trips, encounters with Native Americans, and the hardships they face as early settlers. This book has captured the hearts of both young and old, making it a cherished classic. And so, as always, my friend, take a nice deep breath and let it out slowly. Feel all the tension in your body just melt away. You're all cozy and safe in your bed. So it's time to relax and let go now. Start by softening your forehead and smoothing out your brow. Relax your eyes and unclench your jaw. Let your whole face be smooth and relaxed. Now imagine your shoulders dropping down and easing back and just let them go and feel the relaxation and heaviness flow down through your arms, down through your hands and all the way into your fingers. Let them be loose and limp. Feel your chest and belly become soft. Let your back melt down into your bed. And allow that relaxation to flow down into your hips, into your legs, into your feet and all the way down into your toes. 
every muscle in your legs feel heavy, loose, and limp. And as our story begins, your body and mind will keep on relaxing. Just listen to my words and allow your imagination to take you away. And everything will begin to slow down. Even your breathing and thoughts will slow down as you listen. It's all preparing you for a peaceful sleep. My friend, there's nothing else you need to do right now and nowhere else you need to be. So just lay back, relax, and enjoy the story. Chapter 17 Pa Goes to Town Before dawn, Pa went away. When Laura and Mary woke, he was gone, and everything was empty and lonely. It was not as though Pa had only gone hunting. He was going to town, and he would not be back for four long days. Bunny had been shut in the stable, so she couldn't follow her mother. The trip was too long for a cold. Bunny whinnied lonesomely. Laura and Mary stayed in the house with Ma. Outdoors was too large and empty to play in when Pa was away. Jack was uneasy too and watchful. At noon, Laura went with Ma to water Bunny and to move the cow's picket pen to fresh grass. The cow was quite gentle now. She followed where Ma led, and she would even let Ma milk her. At milking time, Ma was putting on her bonnet, when suddenly all Jack's hair stood up stiff on his neck and back, and he rushed out of the house. They heard a yell and a scramble and a shout. Call off your dog! Call off your dog! Mr. Edwards was on top of the woodpile, and Jack was climbing up after him. He's got me treed, Mr. Edwards said, backing along the top of the woodpile. Ma could hardly make Jack come away. Jack grinned savagely and his eyes were red. He had to let Mr. Edwards come down from the woodpile, but he watched him every minute. Ma said, I declare he seems to know that Mr. Ingalls is here. Mr. Edwards said that dogs knew more than most folks gave them credit for. On his way to town that morning, Pa had stopped at Mr. Edwards' house and asked him to come over every day to see that everything was all right. And Mr. Edwards was such a good neighbor that he had come at chore time to do the chores for Ma. But Jack had made up his mind not to let anyone but Ma go near the cow or bunny while Pa was gone. He had to be shut in the house while Mr. Edwards did the chores. When Mr. Edwards went away, he said to Ma, Keep that dog in the house tonight, and you'll be safe enough. 
The dark crept slowly all around the house. The wind cried mournfully, and Owl said, Hoo, hoo. A wolf howled, and Jack growled low in his throat. Mary and Laura sat close to Ma in the firelight. They knew they were safe in the house because Jack was there, and Ma had pulled the latch string in. Next day was empty like the first. Jack paced around the stable and around the house, then around the stable and back to the house. He would not pay any attention to Laura. That afternoon, Mrs. Scott came to visit with Ma. While they visited, Laura and Mary sat politely, as still as mice. Mrs. Scott admired the new rocking chair. The more she rocked in it, the more she enjoyed it, and she said how neat and comfortable and pretty the house was. She said she hoped to goodness they would have no trouble with Indians. Mr. Scott had heard rumors of trouble. She said, land knows they'd never do anything with this country themselves. All they do is roam around over it like wild animals. Treaties or no treaties, the land belongs to folks that'll farm it. That's only common sense and justice. She did not know why the government made treaties with Indians. The only good Indian was a dead Indian. The very thought of Indians made her blood run cold. She said, I can't forget the Minnesota massacre. My pa and my brothers went out with the rest of the settlers and stopped them only 15 miles west of us. I've heard Pa tell often enough how they... Ma made a sharp sound in her throat, and Mrs. Scott stopped. Whatever a massacre was, it was something that grown-ups would not talk about when little girls were listening. After Mrs. Scott had gone, Laura asked Ma what a massacre was. Ma said she could not explain that now. It was something that Laura would understand when she was older. Mr. Edwards came to do chores again that evening, and again Jack treed him on the woodpile. Ma had to drag him off. She told Mr. Edwards she couldn't think what had got into that dog. Maybe it was the wind that upset him. The wind had a strange, wild howl in it, and it went through Laura's clothes as if the clothes weren't there. Her teeth and Mary's teeth chattered while they carried many armfuls of wood into the house. That night, they thought of Pa and Independence. If nothing had delayed him, he would be camping there now, near the houses and the people. Tomorrow, he would be in the store buying things. Then, if he could get an early start, he could come back partway home and camp on the prairie tomorrow night, and the next night, he might come home. In the morning, the wind was blowing fiercely, and it was so cold that Ma kept the door shut. Laura and Mary stayed by the fire and listened to the wind, screaming around the house and howling in the chimney. That afternoon, they wondered if Pa was leaving Independence and coming toward them against the wind. Then, when it was dark, they wondered where he was camping. The wind was bitterly cold. It came even into the snug house and made their backs shiver while their faces roasted in the heat of the fire. 
Somewhere on the big, dark, lonesome prairie, Pa was camping in that wind. The next day was very long. They could not expect Pa in the morning, but they were waiting till they could expect him. In the afternoon, they began to watch the creek road. Jack was watching it too. He whined to go out, and he went all around the stable and the house, stopping to look toward the creek bottoms and show his teeth. The wind almost blew him off his feet. When he came in, he would not lie down. He walked about and worried. The hair rose on his neck and flattened and rose again. He tried to look out of the window and then whined at the door. But when Ma opened it, he changed his mind and would not go out. Jack's afraid of something, Mary said. Jack's not afraid of anything, ever, Laura contradicted. Laura, Ma said, it isn't nice to contradict. In a minute, Jack decided to go out. He went to see that the cow and calf and bunny were safe in the stable. And Laura wanted to tell Mary, I told you so. She didn't, but she wanted to. At chore time, Ma kept Jack in the house so he could not tree Mr. Edwards on the woodpile. Pa had not come yet. The wind blew Mr. Edwards in through the door. He was breathless and stiff with cold. He warmed himself by the fire before he did the chores, and when he had done them, he sat down to warm himself again. He told Ma that Indians were camping in the shelter of the bluffs. He had seen the smoke from the fires when he crossed the bottoms. He asked Ma if she had a gun. Ma said she had Pa's pistol, and Mr. Edwards said, I reckon they'll stay close in camp a night like this. Yes, Ma said. Mr. Edwards said he could make himself right comfortable with hay in the stable, and he would spend the night there if Ma said so. Ma thanked him nicely, but said she would not put him to that trouble. They would be safe enough with Jack. I am expecting Mr. Ingalls any minute now, she told him. So Mr. Edwards put on his coat and cap and muffler and mittens and picked up his gun. He said he didn't guess that anything would bother her anyway. No, Ma said. When she shut the door behind him, she pulled the latch string in, though darkness had not yet come. Laura and Mary could see the creek road plainly, and they watched it until the dark hid it. Then Ma closed and barred the wooden window shutter. Pa had not come. They ate supper. They washed the dishes and swept the hearth, and still he had not come. Out in the dark where he was, the wind shrieked and wailed and howled. It rattled the door latch and shook the shutters. It screamed down the chimney and the fire roared and flared. All the time, Laura and Mary strained their ears to hear the sound of wagon wheels. They knew Ma was listening too though she was rocking and singing Carrie to sleep. Carrie fell asleep, and Ma went on gently rocking. At last, she undressed Carrie and put her to bed. 
Laura and Mary looked at each other. Bedtime girls, Ma said. Then Laura begged to be allowed to sit up till Pa came, and Mary backed her up till Ma said they might. For a long, long time they sat up. Mary yawned, then Laura yawned, then they both yawned. But they kept their eyes wide open. Laura's eyes saw things grow very large and then very small. And sometimes she saw two Marys, and sometimes she couldn't see at all. But she was going to sit up till Pa came. Suddenly, a fearful crash scared her, and Ma picked her up. She had fallen off the bench, smack on the floor. She tried to tell Ma that she wasn't sleepy enough to have to go to bed but an enormous yawn almost split her head in two. In the middle of the night, she sat straight up. Ma was sitting still in the rocking chair by the fire. The door latch rattled. The shutter shook. The wind was howling. Mary's eyes were open, and Jack walked up and down. Then Laura heard again a wild howl that rose and fell and rose again. Lie down, Laura, and go to sleep, Ma said gently. What's that howling? Laura asked. The wind is howling, said Ma. Now mind me, Laura. Laura lay down, but her eyes would not shut. She knew that Pa was out in the dark, where the terrible howling was. The wild men were in the bluffs along the creek bottoms and Pa would have to cross the creek bottoms in the dark. Jack growled. Then Ma began to sway gently in the comfortable rocking chair. Firelight ran up and down, up and down the barrel of Pa's pistol in her lap, and Ma sang softly and sweetly. Laura didn't know that she had gone to sleep. She thought the shining angels began to sing with Ma and she lay listening to their heavenly singing until suddenly her eyes opened and she saw Pa standing by the fire. She jumped out of bed shouting, Oh, Pa, Pa! Pa's boots were caked with frozen mud. His nose was red with cold. His hair wildly stood up on his head. He was so cold that coldness came through Laura's nightgown when she reached him. Wait, he said. He wrapped Laura in Ma's big shawl, and then he hugged her. Everything was all right. The house was cozy with firelight. There was the warm brown smell of coffee. Ma was smiling, and Pa was there. The shawl was so large that Mary wrapped the other end of it around her. Pa pulled off his stiff boots and warmed his stiff cold hands. Then he sat on the bench and he took Mary on one knee and Laura on the other and he hugged them against him, all snuggled in the shawl. Their bare toes toasted in the heat from the fire. Ah, Pa sighed. I thought I never would get here. Ma rummaged among the stores he had brought and spooned brown sugar into a tin cup. Pa had brought sugar from Independence. Your coffee will be ready in a minute, Charles, she said. 
It rained between here and Independence going, Pa told them. And coming back, the mud froze between the spokes till the wheels were nearly solid. I had to get out and knock it loose so the horses could pull the wagon. And seemed like we no more than started when I had to get out and do it again. It was all I could do to keep Pat and Patty coming against that wind. They're so worn out they could hardly stagger. I never saw such a wind. It cuts like a knife. The wind had begun while he was in town. People there told him he had better wait until it blew itself out, but he wanted to get home. It beats me, he said, why they call a south wind a norther, and how a wind from the south can be so tarnation cold. I never saw anything like it. Down here in this country, the north end of a south wind is the coldest wind I have ever heard of. He drank his coffee and wiped his mustache with his handkerchief and said, Ah, that hits the spot, Caroline. Now I'm beginning to thaw out. Then his eyes twinkled at Ma, and he told her to open the square package on the table. Be careful, he said. Don't drop it. Ma stopped unwrapping it and said, Oh, Charles, you didn't. Open it, Pa said. In that square package, there were eight small squares of window glass. They would have glass windows in their house. Not one of the squares was broken. Pa had brought them safely all the way home. Ma shook her head and said he shouldn't have spent so much, but her whole face was smiling and Pa laughed with joy. They were all so pleased. All winter long they could look out the windows as much as they liked and the sunshine could come in. Pa said he thought that Ma and Mary and Laura would like glass windows better than any other present, and he was right, they did. But the windows were not all he had brought them. There was a little paper sack full of pure white sugar. Ma opened it, and Mary and Laura looked at the sparkling whiteness of that beautiful sugar, and they each had a taste of it from a spoon. Then Ma tied it carefully up. They would have white sugar when company came. Best of all, Pa was safely home again. Laura and Mary went back to sleep, very comfortable all over. Everything was all right when Pa was there. And now he had nails and cornmeal and fat pork and salt and everything. He would not have to go to town again for a long time. Chapter 18, The Tall Indian In those three days, the norther had howled and screeched across the prairie till it blew itself out. Now the sun was warm and the wind was mild, but there was a feeling of autumn in the air. Indians came riding on the path that passed so close to the house. They went by as though it were not there. They were thin and brown and bare. They rode their little ponies without saddle or bridle. They sat up straight on the naked ponies and did not look to right or left, but their black eyes glittered. 
Laura and Mary backed against the house and looked up at them, and they saw red-brown skin bright against the blue sky, and scalp locks wound with colored string and feathers quivering. The Indians' faces were like the red-brown wood that Pa had carved to make a bracket for Ma. I thought that trail was an old one they didn't use anymore, Pa said. I wouldn't have built the house so close to it if I'd known it's a high road. Jack hated Indians, and Ma said she didn't blame him. She said, I declare, Indians are getting so thick around here that I can't look up without seeing one. As she spoke, she looked up, and there stood an Indian. He stood in the doorway, looking at them, and they had not heard a sound. Goodness, Ma gasped. Silently, Jack jumped at the Indian. Pa caught him by the collar just in time. The Indian hadn't moved. He stood as still as if Jack hadn't been there at all. How? he said to Pa. Pa held on to Jack and replied, How? He dragged Jack to the bedpost and tied him there. While he was doing it, the Indian came in and squatted down by the fire. Then Pa squatted down by the Indian, and they sat there, friendly but not saying a word, while Ma finished cooking dinner. Laura and Mary were close together and quiet on their bed in the corner. They couldn't take their eyes from that Indian. He was so still that the beautiful eagle feathers in his scalp lock didn't stir. Only his bare chest and the leanness under his ribs moved a little to his breathing. He wore fringed leather leggings and his moccasins were covered with beads. Ma gave Pa and the Indian their dinners on two tin plates, and they ate silently. Then Pa gave the Indian some tobacco for his pipe. They filled their pipes, and they lighted the tobacco with coals from the fire, and they silently smoked until the pipes were empty. All this time, nobody had said anything, but now the Indian said something to Pa. Pa shook his head and said, No speak. A while longer they all sat silent. Then the Indian rose up and went away without a sound. My goodness gracious, Ma said. Laura and Mary ran to the window. They saw the Indian straight back, riding away on a pony. He held a gun across his knees. Its ends stuck out on either side of him. Pa said that Indian was no common trash. He guessed by the scalp lock that he was an Osage. Unless I miss my guess, Pa said. That was French, he spoke. I wish I had picked up some of that lingo. Let Indians keep themselves to themselves, said Ma, and we will do the same. I don't like Indians around underfoot. Pa told her not to worry. That Indian was perfectly friendly, he said, and their camps down among the bluffs are peaceful enough. If we treat them well and watch Jack, we won't have any trouble. The very next morning, 
when Pa opened the door to go to the stable. Laura saw Jack standing in the Indian trail. He stood stiff, his back bristled, and all his teeth showed. Before him in the path, the tall Indian sat on his pony. Indian and pony were still as still. Jack was telling them plainly that he would spring if they moved. Only the eagle feathers that stood up from the Indian scalp walk were waving and spinning in the wind. When the Indian saw Pa, he lifted his gun and pointed it straight at Jack. Laura ran to the door, but Pa was quicker. He stepped between Jack and that gun, and he reached down and grabbed Jack by the collar. He dragged Jack out of the Indian's way, and the Indian rode on along the trail. Pa stood with his feet wide apart, his hands in his pockets, and watched the Indian riding farther and farther away across the prairie. That was a darned close call, Pa said. Well, it's his path, an Indian trail long before we came. He drove an iron ring into a log of the house wall, and he chained Jack to it. After that, Jack was always chained. He was chained to the house in the daytime, and at night he was chained to the stable door because horse thieves were in the country now. They had stolen Mr. Edwards's horses. Jack grew crosser and crosser because he was chained, but it could not be helped. He would not admit that the trail was the Indian's trail. He thought it belonged to Pa and Laura knew that something terrible would happen if Jack hurt an Indian. Winter was coming now. The grasses were a dull color under a dull sky. The winds wailed as if they were looking for something they could not find. Wild animals were wearing their thick winter fur, and Pa set his traps in the creek bottoms. Every day he visited them, and every day he went hunting. Now that the nights were freezing cold, he shot deer for meat. He shot wolves and foxes for their fur, and his traps caught beaver and muskrat and mink. He stretched the skins on the outside of the house and carefully tacked them there to dry. In the evenings, he worked the dried skins between his hands to make them soft, and he added them to the bundle in the corner. Every day, the bundle of furs grew bigger. Laura loved to stroke the thick fur of red foxes. She liked the brown, soft fur of beaver, too, and the shaggy wolf's fur. But best of all, she loved the silky mink. Those were all furs that Pa saved to trade next spring in Independence. Laura and Mary had rabbit skin caps, and Pa's cap was muskrat. One day, when Pa was hunting, two Indians came. They came into the house because Jack was chained. Those Indians were dirty and scowling and mean. They acted as if the house belonged to them. One of them looked through Ma's cupboard and took all the cornbread. The other took Pa's tobacco pouch 
They looked at the pegs where Pa's gun belonged. Then one of them picked up the bundle of furs. Ma held baby Carrie in her arms, and Mary and Laura stood close to her. They looked at the Indian taking Pa's furs. They couldn't do anything to stop him. He carried them as far as the door. Then the other Indian said something to him. They made harsh sounds at each other in their throats, and he dropped the furs and they went away. Ma sat down. She hugged Mary and Laura close to her, and Laura felt Ma's heart beating. Well, Ma said smiling, I'm thankful they didn't take the plow and seeds. Laura was surprised. She asked, what plow? The plow and all our seeds for next year are in that bundle of furs, said Ma. When Pa came home, they told him about those Indians, and he looked sober. But he said that all was well that ended well. That evening, when Mary and Laura were in bed, Pa played his fiddle. Ma was rocking in the rocking chair and holding baby Carrie against her breast, and she began to sing softly with a fiddle. Ma's voice and the fiddle's music softly died away, and Laura asked, Will the government make these Indians go west? Yes, Pa said. When white settlers come into a country, the Indians have to move on. The government is going to move these Indians farther west any time now. That's why we're here, Laura. White people are going to settle all this country, and we get the best land because we get here first and take our pick. Now do you understand? Yes, Pa, Laura said. But Pa, I thought this was Indian territory. Won't it make the Indians mad to have to? No more questions, Laura. Pa said firmly, go to sleep. Sweet dreams, my friend. Sleep well. Thank you.